I'm going to be taking you at a couple different places. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I, I guess I would tell you to, to turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 18. Um, if you're a note taker, um, then you're going to be blessed uh, by having the, the extra scriptures on your paper that we're going to look at today. Um, but, but also you can grab a copy of that afterwards so you, so you, can, you can have those. Um, we're, we're in a new series uh, about the seven deadly sins. Before I jump into anything, uh, I want to pray. So if you will pray with me, uh, I'm going to pray over our message this morning. Um, and so if, if you would join with me, I would, I would be blessed by that. But God, our Father, firstly, we just thank you for this day. Um, I thank you for our time together, that, that we can gather together. God, I thank you for your goodness, for your love and kindness. God, I pray that you would that you would grant to us a fresh wind and a fresh fire, that, that you would pour your spirit out upon us as we examine your word, uh, that you would be glorified, and that, and that we would be changed. Help us to bear our hearts before you today, to allow the surgery of your word to have its healing and life-giving effect upon us. God, we, we pray that you would help clear our minds from the other things in life, so that we might, at least for an hour, come before you, open and bare, that you might have your work in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, the, this, this series title, if you're going to look on it online, is, is going to be called Seven. Um, the name of it is Seven Deadly Sins, and so we're shortening it to Seven. And, and, and before we even jump into the first one that we're going to cover today, I, I, I want to be really clear with you. Um, so we talk about seven deadly sins. All sin is deadly. James tells us that we can keep the whole law, and if we've stumbled at one point, then we're guilty of, of breaking all of it. And so as, as we look at this, and as you frame this framework in your mind, um, God gave us the Ten Commandments, Jesus refined those into the two main commandments, right? And so as we look at these, these, these seven deadly sins, these are not the only sins. And so as you're sitting here, first of all, if, if you are sitting through this whole series and, and you say to yourself at the end of it, made it through that, well then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you to maybe reflect a little more um, and maybe do your own heart searching. Uh, but, but also, I, I need to be clear with you that we need Christ as our Redeemer from even one single sin. And, and, and all of these seven that we're going to talk about, I think we, we fall prey to them either individually or as a, as a range, right? And so you, maybe you are going to, after you hear this message, the first one being on, on pride, you're going to think, well, I'm not a very proud person, so praise the Lord for that. Well, okay, but there might be another one that you struggle with. And again, if that's your comment... Really? <laughs> Man, praise the Lord, I don't deal with that. I, that sounds a little prideful even there, right? I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but but if, if we look at this, um, I, I take pride first in here, and uh, my clicker's off. That's why it's not working. Um, I take pride first, and a lot of people will say, well, pride is the root of all evil or the root of all sin. Now, I'm not sure that I agree with that. Uh, but, but I do think that pride is a huge factor in, in a lot of sins. Uh, and, and at the root, I, I think, of all sin is 
I want this little mini God that I have right here in my heart and an idol of myself, I want this little mini God to get what it wants, not to give this God, the big God, the real God, the creating God, what he desires, right? And so I guess if that's the case, then I might make the argument for the pride as the root of all sin. But as we're going to see these, uh, I think the root of all of these really comes to something within us. So, of course, I'm going to start this with this illustration of Dr. Strange. Are any of you familiar with Marvel's Dr. Strange? If you're not, that's okay. I forgive you. Um, but Dr. Strange is a Marvel character in the Marvel Universe, and, and the, his story is, is basically of one whose pride causes him to lose basically almost everything. He, he, he goes through this tragic car crash. Before the car crash, Dr. Strange, that is his real name. His last name really is Strange. It's not because he's strange, although he, he is. But um, So Dr. Strange, he, he's this world-renowned, successful surgeon. I, I mean, think like House and, and Doogie, like on steroids, right? For those of you who remember Doogie Hauser, right? Um, but those guys, right? And so he's this amazing surgeon. He suffers this car crash, which it, it ruins his hands. And so as a surgeon, you know, that's, that's a bummer. And then what he does is uh, the, the rest of his story, well, the rest of the movie and the rest of the comics and all this stuff is about after this, but the large part of his uh, origin story is he goes overseas and he, do, he, he basically spends every dime that he has to try to fix himself, to get himself back to where he was. And he has to learn humility and come to the bottom to be built back up, to actually become... Uh, the Sorcerer Supreme, however you feel about that, that's his title, you know, so stay with the, the point, okay? And he ends up, because he learns humility, he's able to step into the calling of being able to save far more people than he was ever able to save as a surgeon. And so the statement that I want to start with is, I, I think pride is what caused humanity to be in our present fallen condition. And I also want to say that unless or until we deal with pride, we'll never be able to properly submit to God and receive the blessings and offer the worship and experience victory over sin. We will never enter into our own calling from God unless we are willing to humbly submit to him. And so pride, as starting these seven deadly sins, they have some very bad things to say in Scripture about those who are prideful or those who are battling with or struggling in or succumbing to pride. I guess it's more succumbing to pride. But Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs eighteen twelve, which is kind of the this is the main structural pillar of our sermon this morning, so you can mark this or put a finger in the text or you can just remember it. Um, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Now, those are just two of the Proverbs. There's plenty of other Proverbs. There's plenty of other sayings throughout all of Scripture. Maybe one of the most famous ones that you guys are most familiar with maybe is, is actually what it talks about here in James. Um, God is opposes, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is actually kind of a, a quote, translationally quote of Proverbs 3.34, that says, towards 
the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. And so you might be most familiar with this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, if there's one being in all of the universe that you don't want opposed to you, it's God, okay? Uh, You can deal with any other being being opposed to you, but if God is opposed to you, you are in a bad, bad spot indeed. And so the first thing I want to cover with you is where is the origin of pride? Where does pride come from? Why do we experience it? Why do we battle with it? Where, where, where is this coming from? And I think a very common belief is that pride comes from, like, Satan. He's the father of pride, right? I think that's, that's a very common thing. And, and we get that from texts like in Isaiah. So Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 says this. Now, I'm going to read, and you can move us through the text in the back there. But Isaiah 14 talks about Satan, and he says how... You are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And then we're also familiar with with Jesus' words where he says, you know, I saw Satan like a lightning bolt thrown from heaven. And then all of us, I I hope, if you're not familiar with Genesis chapter 3, if you want to go there afterwards, I would encourage you to, but Genesis chapter 3 is this, is the narrative of the fall of humanity. And Satan, in the form of this serpent, right, comes and speaks to Adam and Eve and tempts them to take the fruit. They take the fruit, and then we are now in our fallen state through our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. And so a lot of people think, oh, well, surely then pride, pride comes from Satan. I mean, look, he wants to exalt himself above the heavens. He wants to be in the place where only God should dwell. Scripture talks about Satan, how he was the most beautiful uh, of all God's creation. Uh, basically, uh, second in command, uh, there's the Trinity of, of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Satan was the leader of the choir, second in command, or all those other things. And that was not enough for him, as we see in text. And so he desires for more. His pride in himself causes him to fall. And so it's, I think it's natural that we might say, oh, well, then, okay, case closed. The origin of pride is, is Satan. But there's other texts. 1 John 2, uh, 15 through 17, I have here. You have 16, and that's, that's enough. That's the crux. I'm going to give you the context just surrounding it. You can read with me when I get to 16. But it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, you have, for all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then in verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so verse 16 of John, which is also, again, inspired text by the Holy Spirit, would, would then appear to negate our previous assumption. Well, it doesn't come, does it come from Satan? Because this text seems to, it comes from the world. And so, so which is it? And how do we know? Because part of the reason it's important for us to know 
is because we have to be able to deal with it in our own lives, right? So, so who do I blame, Pastor? Do I blame Satan? Do I blame the world? Well, my argument is maybe neither. Proverbs 18, 12, if you remember, that's the main pillar of this says, but before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And so I, I think it's from our hearts. On the text, or on the screen, you see the text before you mark a 7, 20 through 23. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil, all this evil, all these evil things comes from within and they defile a person. That's an uncomfortable truth this morning, isn't it? Because I, like you, would love to say it's not my fault. I would love to say, you know, this, the devil made me do it. No, no, Christian. Sin comes from within. It comes from our hearts. Uh, I think it was uh, John Calvin talked about the, the heart of man is basically an idle factory. And, and, and what he means by that is, hey, brother or sister, look, if it ain't one thing, it's going to be another our heart is desperately wicked. So I don't know if I have these on there, guys in the back. Uh, to prove this point out, I want you to pay closer attention to the text. So if we go back to Isaiah, which should be the next one, I, I believe. So if we go back to Isaiah chapter 14, talking about Satan, this is what it says. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars. So even for Satan himself, it comes from his internal being. And then Jeremiah tells us, if, if this isn't enough evidence for you, Jeremiah 17, which I don't think is on the screen, but Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, he says. And then verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is scary. And so as we look at not only pride, but remember this section of this sermon for all the rest of these, right? Our hearts are the problem. Our heart is where sin originates from. And so then the question I have, and hopefully the question you have is, okay, so... You've told us where pride comes from, but can you describe it for us? What, what is pride? What, is, what does the work of pride do? Um, now, now, many of us have, have a kind of a knee-jerk understanding of pride, and it's very, uh, I'm going to give it to you in a very cartoonish or um, characterization of it, and it's, it's the person with their nose up in the air, right? Their nose is up in the air, their arms are crossed, or perhaps they have one hand up, and it's just kind of like a get out of my way, peasant, kind of thing, right? It's kind of like, you, you can't tell me anything. It's, it's that kind of cartoon illustration. But, but the work of pride is far more real, far more devious, far more 
of a problem than just that. First of all, the, the pride is defined as sin. We see that throughout Scripture. Uh, pride is one of, uh, of course, the seven deadly sins. All sin is deadly, but pride causes our hearts to be hardened to God. By pride, Satan fell. We covered that. By pride, I believe, humanity fell. They, they were not okay with their position that God had given them. They wanted more. They questioned the word. They questioned God's goodness. Out of pride, they thought, maybe we do know better. I mean, we are the first humans after all. And uh, so they ate. And so um, by pride, I believe we often fall in various ways. And it says in the text in verse 18 that by pride we are doomed. And so as we look at describing pride, I think the first thing we have to see about pride is that it is absolutely groundless. And what I mean by that is pride is utterly foolishness. And, and I have a text to prove that out for you. First Corinthians says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you have received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And, and, and the point of this text, and there's, there's others like it, right? First Chronicles, which is not on the screen, but I, I want to give to you. First Chronicles says both riches and honor come from you, talking about the Lord. And you rule over them all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great or to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. And then, he, and then he makes this transition. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given to you. And so pride is, is absolutely foolishness because it's groundless. The athlete who takes pride in their athletic prowess. Now maybe they put the time in to some degree. But they were born that way. I wish I was taller. I wish I was bigger. But I'm this tall and I'm this big. I wish I was smarter and more eloquent. But I'm this dumb and this tongue-tied. Okay? And, and so think about all the things in your life. Okay, but you say, well, well, pastor, I worked really hard for X. It's like, okay. But in the breath of his nostrils or the snap of his fingers, all of that could be taken from you. It is at God's disposal to give anything to you. We take pride in our health. Why? Did, was it not from God that you were healthy? You take pride in your, in your wealth or your riches. What? Was it not God who has blessed your work financially or given you the ability to do that or brought the clients to you and made the things line up? I mean, think of all these things and pride is absolutely groundless. But there's more to pride as we continue to describe it. The other work that pride has in our lives or the way that this is, is it's, it's madness. It's not only groundless, it's it's crazy a lot of times. Pride is one of the only things that can cause you, this, this old adage, to cut off your nose despite your face. People out of, out of pride will do all kinds of things. Charles Spurgeon, when he talks about pride, he, he, he says, um, men, how does he put it? I'm, I'm going to kind of, uh, you're, you're going to have to Google it. But basically what he says is those who always have their nose in the air are liable to trip at some point. It's like, yeah, we, we think of ourselves or we, we pursue pride. We pursue the honor of others 
which in the end only makes us a slave to the honor of others. If that is our God and we're pursuing that, it is never satisfied and at a moment it can be taken away from us and then what are we left with? And so it's, it is crazy to continue to pursue pride. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. Here's another scary work of pride. It, it's mutating. What I mean by that is pride can be experienced by every single person in every area of life, no matter the stage of their life, their age, or their lot in life. Pride is at home with the beggar as well as the CEO. In fact, pride is often rampant in the church. We can have pride about our doctrine. Because we are the church that preaches right doctrine. And it is the rest of them that gets it wrong. Right? We can have pride in our own spiritual maturity. I I mean, think about how foolish this is. There are pastors. Thankfully, yours doesn't struggle with this ever. But there are other pastors that will sometimes think to themselves, well, I've been to seminary, and you haven't, so who are you to rebuke or correct or critique? Or sometimes there there are pastors. Again, you should be thankful that yours does not struggle with this. (laughs) That, That sometimes think, well, you know, clearly my preaching is better than the other guys down the town, so you should come to this one instead. And, and sometimes there are pastors, and again, how blessed are you? <laughs> that think when they see the church grow, or that the church is blessed, that it has, it has mainly to do with their intellect, or their ability, or their fervency. You see, pride is a mutating thing. We can even, sometimes, we can take pride in our own humility. We, we can skulk and, and cower and diminish. We, 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 can, we can even sometimes have pride in knowing that when people compliment us, we often just turn those compliments back. And we can take pride in deflecting from ourselves. Do you see how snake-like and insidious pride truly is? The other work of pride, as we're going to see in Romans 1, 18 through 32, is the effects and the way that pride works. And I've kind of already covered this a little bit, but I want to cover this with you. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. We suppress the truth because we think we know better. That's that's pride. We, we don't want to listen to the truth. We don't want to examine the truth. We don't want to recognize the truth because I'd, I'd rather live my own truth because of pride, right? And then uh, I, you guys can just click through as, as I read if, if you would. But um, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We're, we, we suppress this truth even though literally it is intrinsic to everything around us. The very mixture that makes oxygen for us is evidence of God's good creation, of his power. 
and yet we suppress the truth. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so you see the trajectory of this. Uh, Pride will often distort, it disregards, it deceives, and as we're going to see, it debases and then eventually destroys. It is because of our own pride that we choose our own way and we neglect the things of God. And it's very easy, if you know the context of this, for us to then look at texts like this and be like, yeah, those people, they do suffer with pride. Brother or sister, if that is your thought in the least, then I would say you have already succumbed to the small inkling of pride in our own hearts. Because notice he said, suppression of the truth. And so they become futile, thinking their hearts were dark. And 22, claiming to be wise, they become fools. 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. These things resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than creator. Because just like Satan, pride puts us in the place of God. Just like him, and it's coming out of our own hearts, we say, yeah, that might be true for the rest of the angels, but it's not for me because, well, look at me. I lead the choir, and I'm the second in command. Or we might say, yeah, that might be true for the rest of them, but look at me. Look at my spiritual maturity. Look at the way I parent my family. Look at the finances that I have or the car I drive or the the work that I put in at the office, or the, the way that I, I don't know, paint, paintings. <laughs> and so claiming to be wise, they became fool, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for these things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then verse 26, for this reason then, God out of love says, okay, If that is what you want, if that is your God, then you can have it. And you can have it as deep and as long and as wide as you would like to have it. And that's when we get into this idea of debasing, destroying. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations. For those who, contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women for consumed with passion for one another. This is not even a sermon about homosexuality or lesbianism or LGBTQ, any of that stuff. It's interesting, though, that they have pride parades and they have pride month or week. It is in the very face of God upon which they spit. And so we should not at all judge. Rather, we should be broken, absolutely gutted and broken. And they commit shameless acts, men receiving themselves the due penalty for their Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. And all of this comes not from just simply sexual immorality. I, okay, Uh, I use this illustration a lot for people who have already heard it. You're going to be familiar with it, but picture a tree, right? So you've got a tree and you've got branches and on the branches, there's either, there's either fruit or there's thistles. Okay. 
and uh, one or the other. Sometimes we're deceived and we can't see the thistles because we're too busy looking at the fruit. Amen? And so you sometimes, all of our trees have a little bit of both, if we're honest. But you, through fruit or thistles. And scripture talks about that there's the, the base of the tree and then what's at the bottom, what's out of the root, is what makes all those things come up. And here, the fruit might be things like sexual immorality or, or licentiousness or, or whatever and all those other things. But the root at the bottom, at the base of the tree, is really their heart. And their heart is consumed with the suppression of truth. Why? Because their truth is greater than God's truth because it is a heart completely subservient to pride. And so let us beware, again, that we not judge others, but rather, this is a time for us to look at our own heart, our own tree, our own fruit and thistles, and say, where, O God, is my heart proud? And instead of growing fruit for you, is growing thistles to wound. 32, and though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve today, they not only do them, but approve of those who practice them. See, the work of pride distorts, it disregards, it deceives, it debases, it destroys. Is Jeremiah 49 next good? It tells us that uh, the honor that you inspire has deceived you, the pride of your heart. Listen to what he says, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill. You guys ever used to play King of the Mountain when you were kids? You who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest in the high at the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Jeremiah forty nine sixteen explains to us that the honor you inspire has deceived you and the pride of your heart has taken you captive. And so, so ultimately, the, the work of pride, ultimately, as we saw in verse 18 of, of, or chapter 18, verse 12 of, of Proverbs, is destruction. A man's heart is haughty before destruction. I have those in the wrong order. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. So what's the cure? So, so, so if that's the case, we understand the origin of pride is our heart. We understand the work of pride is ultimately destruction with all that other garbage before that, okay? So what's the cure? And you might say, well, geez, Pastor, um, Proverbs 18.12, right? Uh, I mean, Proverbs 18.12 says uh, humility. There you go. You're dismissed. Let's go home. Be humble, right? That's the cure. Um, And we want to know the cure because of verses like this. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so instead of having God opposed to you, we want the cure, which is humility, right? I mean, that's it. And that way we can practice things like First Peter. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's there again. Bet you didn't know it was in two spots, but it is. He says, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. I mean, how much easier can this be? Y'all are asking the question, right? Well, pride seems to be very dangerous. It seems to have terrible consequences. It seems to come out of my heart. So clearly the answer is, um, you know, just do better. Right? No. Uh, Romans 12, 2 through 3 says, Do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of oneself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, so now let me adjust this a little bit. So it seems like, it seems like the text is saying the cure for pride it might actually be, so the, the opposite of pride is humility, right? But, but the cure for pride is, uh, according to the text, it looks like, according to, to Romans, maybe is, is right thinking. That what it seems like is the cure to pride, right? If, if pride is thinking too highly of ourselves, higher of ourselves than we ought to, then, then really it's not just being humble. Humble is the, the fruit of the outcome of right thinking, it, it would appear in the text. Are, are you following my argument here? And so he says, okay, well, don't be conformed to this world. This world brings pride. Um, don't be conformed to your own hearts, but rather um, think of yourself, not more highly, but rather with sober judgment. So, so there you go. You thought it was just humility, so instead of practicing pride, just, just be humble. But wait a minute, the way we do that is by, by thinking rightly. So just, so just think rightly about yourself, right? There's another problem with that. You know, Scripture tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. Scripture tells us that we can't think rightly. And do you remember what I said the problem was in the original? It wasn't our thinking. It was our hearts. And so Ezekiel begins to get to the answer when he says, and I'll give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove a heart of stone from them, from their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. And 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and so the argument that I, I want to end with this morning is pride is a huge problem even for us in the church. It is not just an out there problem. In fact, if we're honest, it's an, it's an in here problem for all of us. The work of pride is dangerous because it is deceptive. It continues to deceive. And so the cure for pride has to be heart transplant, heart change, and that only comes through Christ Jesus. Humility is not just thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking of yourself rightly. We sang songs this morning that help us to think about ourselves rightly. The way to think about ourselves rightly is, compared to God, I am wicked and detestable and I deserve punishment. Because of Christ, he has adopted me as a son or as a daughter. He has, he has sanctified. He has given me his righteousness. So, so even though in my natural state outside of Christ, I am detestable to God, in Christ, he views me as beloved son or daughter. He accepts me, he receives me, and he calls me to then be renewed in my mind of my thinking. I can only have that through Christ Jesus. And so then the way to think about yourself rightly is... Yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And in Christ, I then have the power to submit to God by dying to myself and thinking of myself as a blood-bought child of the king. 
And that is when these other texts are like, hey, don't think of yourself as clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Humble yourselves, therefore. Hey, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, by God's grace, uh, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but, but instead uh, treat other with accordance of this measure of faith. And so with humility, to actually practice humility, because twelve or 18.12 says, right, that destruction comes to the haughty, but God is giving grace to the humble. So we want to be humble, and we can only do that if we're redeemed, renewed, and reborn. And so the end text that I'd like to take you to for the ultimate cure of pride, I think, is found in Second. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It's a little bit longer of a passage, but, but I know that it will bless your souls. So at the end of this, don't lose heart. Pay attention and read this last section of text for us to close. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, spend some time this week going over this text in more detail. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Here it is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or pride, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, right? Right thinking is also connected with a right heart, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Our God, King, humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the ultimate debasement. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, right? Before, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who are haughty will fall. Those who are humble will be exalted. So the ultimate example of that is here in Christ. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, pride is what caused humanity to be in our fallen condition. Pride is what often keeps us from currently experiencing God's best for us. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And so until or unless we deal with our pride, we will never be able to properly step into the call that God has for us. So here's the thing about this. Often, Often we miss out, not because this is too high for us to attain, but because we dare not stoop to submit to it. And so brother or sister, cleanse your hearts. Confess to the Lord where you struggle with pride. Ask him to reveal to you where you struggle with pride. Ask him to give you the new heart he wants to give you. Ask him to renew your mind in the right thinking of yourself and others. And remember that humility, real humility, is just knowing your standing in Christ. Nothing higher and yet never anything lower than a blood-bought saint. Let's pray. God, our Father, 
you have told us time and time again in your word that you are opposed to the proud and that you give grace to the humble. Therefore, we come fearfully before you today. Because those who are truly praying with me right now, God, we are about to ask you something dangerous. And we want for you to humble us, God. Humble us so that we might taste your grace. Give us hearts and minds of Christ. Grant us to be, a, to be but a servant in your house. For when we are weak, we recognize your strength. And it is only when we are humble that your grace is poured out upon us. So in righteous fear, we ask, humble us, God, for our good and for your glory. Amen. I want to encourage you.